With mako fishing, it was the exact opposite. It was about as slow of a game as, as you could imagine, but it was fun. So you're, you're not in a hurry. You can take a time. You can make a good cast. And so you make a good cast right in front of them, and you, you tease it. So you give these little twitches, and the shark comes up, eats it, turns, and you do a nice, long, steady hook set, and then you have a shark on. And they don't even realize they're hooked because they're such apex predators. You can kind of walk them around the boat, and then at some point they realize they're hooked and they take off. And it's a butting down drag, real screaming. You're holding on to the rod, hoping it doesn't pull you over. Things jumping, uh, and it's you'll get it close, and it pulls off drag again. It's the strongest game fish I've ever had a chance to, to catch, and was probably the funnest one of the funnest things I've ever done on a fly rod. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the Fly Crate. So Stevie's just landed uh, about a six pound rainbow, Panask triploid. Stevie, what are you using over there? Black balance leech, buddy. Ten feet down. If you didn't get that, he's using a black balance leech. Ten feet down. Beautiful fish. I'm sitting over there fishing cronies. Haven't had a sniff. So I'm really crowding him out here. Put my anchor right on top of his boat. See what happens. You put your, bank, you put your anchor in my boat. <laughs> Hopefully that wind stays down. Well, I just, I just couldn't help myself. I just, where I'm at right now, surrounded by a lot of snow, ice, hard water, you name it. Had to hear that water move. Found that on my phone and uh, take me back to a warmer summer day where the fish were biting. Uh, we're going to let you know about our top five cities on the podcast in just a moment. We're also going to take you to a sunnier, warmer place, Southern California, in fact. Um, we'll be talking with Dave Smith from San Diego. That's up next. Since 2015, the Fly Crate has taught thousands of anglers world-class fly fishing techniques, and they provide unique fly fishing flies, gear, and tackle. The Fly Crate is an American-owned company committed to helping USA veterans by dedicating 2% of sales to Project Healing Waters. Check them out. Fill your fly boxes today at www.theflycrate.com. Top five cities this week. Number one was Quakertown, PA, followed by Salmon Arm, BC. Uh, Sydney, British Columbia is next on the island. And then Philadelphia, PA, and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks so much, guys, for, for tuning in. We want to welcome to the podcast Dave Smith. Now, Dave is a Southern Cal native out of San Diego. Uh, spends a lot of time fly fishing in the eastern Sierras and the bays in the San Diego area. Dave, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, this is a this is a huge honor for me, and I I'm thrilled to be here and ready to talk some fishing and some life. That's awesome. Um, well, you, what I like to do on the show, Dave, just so you know, is kind of take it back to your roots and kind of figure how you came to discover fly fishing and 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 when it all started for you. So maybe you can walk us through that. How did you come to discover uh, the sport? Uh, this fishing has always been a huge part of my life. Uh, growing up, my parents would take us, me and my brother, and the family dogs to the eastern sierras 
where we'd be throwing, you know, power bait and worms and uh, spinners for trout. And I showed a real passion for fishing at an early age. My parents bought me a fly rod, just a eight foot six, five weight. I still have that rod. Mm-hmm. And I never really got lessons on how to cast it. You know, just take it out and just play around with it. And one, one summer in Idaho on our family trip, I caught a, what I think was a like six inch baby salmon. And that was, and that was awesome. And, you know, one and still played around with fly fishing a little bit. And then I got into golf in high school, um, became a serious focus. So fishing fell by the wayside. I went to college, um, found girls and beer and started, you know, just trying to focus on my studies to become an engineer. And so fishing kind of just fell off. So later in life, uh, around 26, a coworker said, Hey, let's go fishing. So I went out to the surf and fished, fished the surf with spinning gear and w- which really reignited my love of fishing started going back into the Eastern Sierras and was like, you know, what? I should get back into fly fishing. So I hired a guide. He took me, uh, me and my dad out, uh, fishing and I caught 11 fish, real small 10 to 12 inch browns and loved it. And right about that time I had an opportunity to move to New Zealand and I'm like, Oh, well, this is going to be perfect. It's all fly fishing. There's big fish there. I've been out fly fishing once, so I'm now a seasoned pro. I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> bought, a plane, bought, bought a plane ticket, flew over there, and went out on joined a club, uh, Auckland Freshwater Anglers Club, right. and went out on a trip. And I got skunked. Just had no idea what I was doing. Completely missed the three, four fish I had takes on. Came back, and I was super discouraged. So I went to the, the local fly store in Auckland, Rod and Reel, and talked to the guru there, which is his name was Yoshi. And he said, well, do you want me to guide you or do you want me to teach you? I said, well, I want you to teach me. He's like, that's the right answer. And took me out and showed me what I was doing wrong and then told me to go and practice. And ever since then, I've just been practicing and fishing. And that's really how I got into the sport. And the rest of my time in New Zealand, every weekend was spent on a river somewhere in New Zealand and learned how to urinate. Back then they called it check nipping. Uh, learned a little bit of still water fly fishing. And it just really, they say the tug is a drug, but it was, for me it was the constant struggle to find more information and become a better angler. And that's really what drove me, keeps me going in fly fishing is that desire to learn more. Isn't that the coolest thing about the pastime, though, really, Dave? Like, you never stop learning. Nobody knows it all. And I'm always drawn, and I think a lot of fly fishers are drawn to that. Oh, absolutely. And so uh, this last weekend, I was up in the Eastern Sierras giving a urinifing clinic to the Southern Sierra Fly Fishing Club. And, and I'm going through what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And one of the ladies asked me, well, are you doing this or are you doing that? And I had to stop and think, no, I'm actually doing that. And I learned something new about myself by sharing my knowledge with somebody else because somebody else was asking questions. So even when I'm trying to share my knowledge, I'm still learning more about my technique and my style of fly fishing. And every time I go out, there's, I'm not, there's not a time that I've gone out that I haven't learned something or I haven't improved my game. And I believe that's true for all fly fishers who are looking for that. 
I really think the best teachers learn while they're teaching as well. And that's that's bang on because you think of I think of every person that I've ever learned from and, and has influenced me, whether it's fly fishing or school or wh- whatever um, the, you can. That's where the passion it's that exchange. You know, it's a two way street, right? It, it absolutely is a two way street. And that's and that's why I kept getting into doing these seminars and and um, on water clinics because I always learn something because people ask me questions that I have to stop and think about, well, why am I doing that? And that's one of the things I try to teach people is asking the why. So if you're fishing an indicator or you're fishing euro or you're fishing dry flies or streamers, asking yourself why you're doing that. And if you don't have an answer, go find that answer. It'll hmm. make you a better angler under having a better, deeper understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. So I'm trying to think your history in my mind. So maybe the golf game might have suffered a little bit at the expense of the fly fishing. Is <laughs> is that kind of what happened early uh, on? Yeah, literally everything has suffered now because of the fly fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I have a I have a couple project cards that I've been working on that just that are sitting in the garage that I look at every time I go out there. Well, maybe next weekend, and then the next weekend comes around. Hey, you want let's go hit the bay. Let's go catch some fish. So. Everything, everything has suffered. And luckily I have an amazing wife who 100% supports me and she gets out there and fishes with me. So every weekend I'm, I get to spend time with her, good times uh, chasing fish and just really enjoying life. Yeah. You know what? That sounds like a real nice balance you got going over there. If we go back and we, you, you're talking about Yoshi. So what I like to talk about next is, okay, you're telling us how you got started. It sounds like this New Zealand trip was kind of the uh you know the starting block for you this yoshi person you alluded to is is this one of your main influences in the game or um maybe name a couple uh he is absolutely the main influence you know his his flies his style his the way he approaches fly fishing and my my approach is very similar he was a he does he was an engineer as well designed america cup race holes and then started in the fly fishing industry and competitive fly guy. He competed all over the world. He's done very well. Hmm. So he is, you know, every time I go back to New Zealand, I go and see Yoshi and he always teaches me something new. He's a, he's a great guy, a great teacher, um, and an excellent guide. So I definitely appreciate all he's done for me in terms of fly fishing. What's Yoshi's last name? His real name is Kayoshi Nakagawa. Okay. So Yoshi's a lot easier to say. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Some of the other influences, I have a friend from that I met uh, competing here in the U.S., Luis Fernandez. Uh, he's a Spanish guy and or also another engineer. I guess we're all kind of drawn together because we lack social skills and all those other things that are true <laughs> about engineers. Is that true? But, um, <laughs> Is that true? Well, it can be. It can be. <laughs> I, I, I like to... I like to have a little fun, fun with that. I, I grew up in a family of engineers, so all of us are a little socially awkward from time to time. <laughs> but uh, Luis was in the Bay Area, Northern California, and we would always meet up and fish. And he taught me about Spanish-style fly fishing. You know, taught me about the Pertagons. And at that point, I really wasn't into a lot of dry fly fishing. And Luis changed that and really helped me with a lot of my techniques on the dry fly side really kind of helped push my boundaries 
of what I should do in comps and just having fun fly fishing. Uh, he's, I got to go over to Spain and fish with him in the Pyrenees for seven days, which was absolutely unbelievable. Wow. That's awesome. It's, it seems to me like you got some of these, um, techniques under your belt early. Like we talk about check nymphing or Euro nymphing, however you, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's relatively, I don't want to say new to North America, but, uh, those guys were way ahead of the curve. Oh, super ahead of the curve. And it, it's, it's kind of an interesting way how that came about from what I've heard, you know, post-war and the Polish couldn't really afford fly line. So they developed this technique and did really well. And then the Czechs uh, adapted it and made it their own. And then they won the world championships and then the French and the Spaniards, they all kind of took it and made it their own where the French are more fishing directly upstream while the whole time that was going on over here in the U.S., Joe Humphreys was doing the same thing, but just calling a tight line nymphing. Hmm. So it was it's it's really cool how it kind of developed from two different sources, and and to get to the same thing technique, which is to catch more fish. It's a uh, it makes to me and everybody I talk to, they're like wow, this makes a lot of sense on maintaining that contact, understanding what the fish are doing and why they're doing it, and getting down to them so you can catch fish. How much of a role, Dave, has the fact of where you live played in your learning curve? Because when I think of where you're at, you've got the salt water and everything that that brings, and then you're not that far from the Sierras. you got all that. Um, maybe speak to that a little bit. The diversity of, of fly fishing that you have in your, your hometown is crazy. It's unbelievable. So when I got back to New Zealand, I was a through-and-through trout bum. I would get off work at Friday at noon and I would drive to the Sierras, fish all weekend, uh, trout, drive back, go, go to, uh, go to work and repeat. And I did this for about two years cause I was really trying to get into competition and, and had a dream of, you know, making team USA and winning, winning the nationals, winning the world. And my focus was so into trout. I ignored everything else around me. Hmm. It wasn't until about, four years ago that I was talking to somebody like, yeah, you should go fish the bay. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll go give that a try. And that changed, and that changed my, my outlook. We have such a diverse fishery here in Southern California that nobody knows about. We have, uh, the pelagic species like tuna, uh, Dorado or Mahi Mahi, uh, yellowtail, uh, and then the inshore, like the calicos and the bays, our bays are chock full of fish. I don't know any other place really in the world that you can walk out your door in the downtown setting of a major city and catch 80 different species on the fly rod. Yeah. Everything from halibut to bonefish. We have bonefish. We have three different types of bass, calico, spotted sand bass. We have corvina which uh, like a little vampire fish with their sharp pointy teeth. Um, we have croakers. We have corbina in both the bays and on the surf. We have the surf with the, with the rays and the leopard sharks. We have San Diego has the best bass fishing in the world. The world record bass. Hmm. Dottie was hooking, was hooking Lake Dixon in San Diego. When Dottie was finally died of old age, it was around 30 pounds for a large mouth bass. We have small mouth. We have 
incredible carp fishing, which people don't even realize. We have Lake Henshaw where you can catch carp on dry flies when they're clooping. Hmm. Stalking them is incredibly frustrating because you'll make a perfect cast and they just swim away. Well, you hook them, they're great. That sounds exciting to me. Fishing. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but oh, but, but but carp on a no, dry no, fly, man, that sounds that would be amazing. Yeah, and that's how the, the lake level is robbed, and so the water's muddy, and you only get about six inches of visibility. So you're out in the lake, and you're watching these fish cloop, just come up and eat algae, and you throw parachute atoms out in front of them, and you're trying to hit about a shot glass area right in front of them and land it softly. And they swim by and they cloop it and you set. That's how we normally fish for them hmm. on the hen shop. But we do get a hopper hatch, which I haven't experienced personally because it hasn't been, it hasn't really gone off in the last couple of years. But when the hopper hatch goes off, these carp actively feed on hoppers. Wow. And from what, from what I'm hearing is you can cast out and you smack a hopper and they turn around, they come and eat a hopper, which, which happens usually around June of every year. Wow. So we, and we have, we have striper fishing. Um, we even have trout. So there, there's some mountain streams close by that have rainbow trout. Uh, we, all of our local lakes are stocked with trout from November to April. So we have an incredibly diverse fishery all within uh, 120 miles of LAX. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, I was down, in, I was in San Diego about a year ago. And of course, I, I start, you know, getting online, finding out what's going on for fly fishing. And the first thing that came up was the Makos. And I'm thinking, that just looks like another ball game. And that is another ball game. And right when you started talking, I was like, you know what I forgot? I forgot the Makos. <laughs> yeah. I got, I, I had an opportunity to go and chase Makos in October this year. And it was an incredibly different way of fly fishing. So normally, you know, you like bonefish fishing in Belize or tarpon fishing, you kind of roll up and it's like this hurry, this panic, get your fly out in front of it because it's moving. And it's constantly in a rush. With mako fishing, it was the exact opposite. It was about as slow of a game as, as you could imagine, but it was fun. So you get out there, you chum the waters to bring these sharks in, and then once they once you once they come in, they just hang around because they think food's there. Right. So you're you're not in a hurry. You can take a time. You can make a good cast, and so you make a good cast right in front of them, and you you tease it. So you give these little twitches, and the shark comes up, eats it, turns, and you do a nice long steady hook set, mm-hmm. and then you have a shark on. And they don't even realize they're hooked because they're such apex predators. You can kind of walk them around the boat, and then at some point they realize they're hooked, and they take off. <laughs> and it's a button-down drag, real screaming. You're holding on to the rod, hoping it doesn't pull you over. Things jumping, uh, and it's, you'll get it close, and it pulls off drag again. It's the strongest game fish I've ever had a chance to, to catch, and was probably the funnest one of the funnest things I've ever done on a fly rod. How much backing? I can't recommend. How much backing do you need, and what what uh, type of a fly rod are you talking for these makos? Like like how big? Uh, minimum was a twelve weight. So I was fishing an Echo EPR twelve weight, mm-hmm. and I land, which is right at the top end of what it can handle on a hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty pound mako. Wow! Uh, it was you have to have the the heavy duty 
supply lines with a 50 or 60 pound course and not the 20 or 30 with, uh, I had about 350 yards of backing. Unbelievable. So if you, if it's, if you start, if it starts running out past 900 feet, you know, it's time to start the boat and go chase it <laughs> just like you would a marlin or a big tuna. That sounds crazy. We're chatting today with, yeah, we, sorry, with Dave Smith. Uh, Dave is uh, out of San Diego. He is uh, Echo Fly Fishing Pro Staff, Airflow USA Ambassador, Moonlit Fly Fishing Ambassador. Um, we'll talk about all that in just a minute, but it it, it sounds to me like you're, you're living a little slice of heaven in San Diego. It's an incredible slice of heaven. And I didn't think, I didn't think, I didn't realize it for the longest time what an amazing fishery we have. And since then, I'll be honest, my crowd game has suffered a little bit because I just don't make it up to the Sierras the two or three times a month like I used to. Let's get to know you a little bit before we dive in a little deeper here. So uh, you ready for a couple uh, quick rapid-fire questions? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. So when you're on the way in, in the bays, what kind of music, what tunes are you listening to on the way to the water? Oh, man, I, I like I like things on the heavier side so i'm i'm a i'm a metal and punk fan so it's usually like some pantera maybe some slayer wow um some, some king diamond yeah that it's it's that's so that's so cal for you it is definitely so cal you know slayer from uh from riverside but yeah so mm-hmm. i like i like something that kind of pumps me up uh gets me ready and excited to get out fishing What's your favorite place to talk fly fishing? So is there a watering hole, a coffee shop, a fly shop, somewhere you like to go and get your fix? Yeah, it's planet Earth. I mean, I love talking fly fishing. Anybody anybody who will listen and talk back fly fishing will definitely have a listen to them. Um, but really, you know, if I stop in San Diego, um, I'm there probably every weekend talking with the guys there, Alex and Corey and Dave and Chuck. And so, and all the all their clients are in. It's they really have an open environment there where it's they're not there just to sell you something. They're there to kind of help teach and and uh, just talk fly fishing. So it's a it's a cool fun place. Those are the best sales relationships, ones that are built on relationships, not just selling. I I love that, and I think there's a lot of that in this industry. I do too. I think in this industry you have to be. There's a lot of competition out there, and it's, you know, one of the things that I feel is like missing these days is good customer service. And yeah, you can buy a rod cheaper on Amazon, you know, save 10 bucks, but they're not going to spool it up for you. They're not going to tell you where to fish. They're not going to give you the techniques um, to make you successful. So by maybe spending a couple yeah. bucks more at a local fly store, they're going to inundate you with the knowledge you need to be successful. And that really helps you become a better angler and just have more fun because it's fun being out on the water, but I've never heard somebody say, I, I caught too many fish today. I wish I caught less. If you're fishing the many bays in the San Diego area, name one fly pattern that you just can't go without. Oh man, there's a couple of them, but the main one is a clouser. I fish clousers almost exclusively. And the color combination that I love is brown over orange with red flash. It's a variation of Dave Valdez's uh, Liberace. His his mm-hmm. version's a little bit more flashy. I just I tone it down a little bit, but that fly kills it on the base. Let's switch gears. Talk sports. Chargers. I know that might be a soft one there, but Padres, Gulls. Who's your go-to in the sports world? I never even heard of the Chargers. Who are they? 
Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was, I was, I was, I was, a, I, was a, I was a Chargers fan, but I'm not a huge fan of Spanos and their decision to move to LA. So they're, they're kind of dead to me, but my, my two sports that I really like is baseball and then San Diego Gold hockey. We have a That's good level minor, hockey. It's good level hockey and they're, they're a minor league team to the ducks. So you get some ducks players coming down and you get guys who are trying to make, make it to the big. So they're always, they're always pushing hard and skating hard. And it's a really fun day to uh fun night in at hockey. And they have Friday night, $2 Bud Light night. So that doesn't suck either. A buddy of mine, uh, his uh, nephew plays for the Gulls, actually. At least he's, oh. well, he, he's plays for the Ducks, but he goes back and forth, I think. Uh, uh, what the heck? Fontaine? Is there Fontaine on that team? Yeah, yeah, okay. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. He's he's pretty uh, pretty speedy. Um, sorry, I digress here. I'm getting off topic. Um, let's talk competitive fly fishing. What, what does that bring to you? Because I know, I know that just from reading your bio, it sounds like something that you really were drawn to early on and, and what does that what does that bring to the sport for you oh it uh it brings a lot it and it's a it's a it was a funny turn how i got into competitive fly fishing to even begin with i was adamantly against competitive fly fishing for personal reasons because competitive golf ruined golf for me i i didn't play golf for about six years after i stopped competing because it just wasn't fun so i was adamant about not competing and not ruining um, fly fishing for me and yoshi was like no no you should compete you'd be good i'm like cool i appreciate that uh of confidence but i'm i'm not interested i went into the shop one day and he said hey dave i signed you up for the oceana championship so you don't even have a choice you're competing <laughs> and i said oh <laughs> well if you sign me up and you believe in me that much i will definitely do it got out there and I, and then I was like, Oh, that's going to be awesome. I'm going to compete. And then, the, and then the fear came into me like, Oh crap. A lot of these guys had competed for years and earned their way into this competition. And here I am never competing, getting to fish in an international competition with people who are way better than me. I cannot come in last. And so I worked really hard at that fishing while I was driving to the Sierras every weekend to not come in last. I didn't, I ended up not coming in last. I came in 19th, so I held my own. But what I learned out of that was I'm a good angler and I can fish good water. So if I walk up to an empty river, I can pick the spot where I can fish. But I don't always get that, that choice in competitions. You end up getting a chunk of water that could be terrible, that you don't think there'd be any fish in there. And so you have three hours to fish this chunk of water and you really have to kind of figure it out. And that's what it's really about for me is getting these, these crappy beats that you don't think hold fish and starting to pull fish out of these spots that you and most people would just keep on walking by. It really has allowed me to, to get better at picking out um, fishy spots when the, the good, nice prime holes are taken by somebody else. It's funny you said that because I, I've had some people from, uh, you know, that have participated in numerous World Fly Fishing Championships on the podcast, and they, they always talk about that. You know, like, as anglers, we walk, or say we're walking a river, we, we, we pick the usual spots, but I, I would imagine 
picking those difficult spots is only going to make you a better angler and and you're looking past a lot of fish that you're not necessarily you know even casting for absolutely it's it's amazing how many how much water people will walk through that is prime for holding fish but they don't see it as that because they're just looking for the, the big bands the deep holes the slower water that they're used to indicating used to fishing with indicators and that's where your nymphing really shines is because you can cover a ton of water really quickly and mm-hmm. pick up fish that you would normally miss those are those are what i call bonus fish because you get them that other people don't and i like to i also like about competition was that it it forced me to try different aspects of fly fishing. Still water fly fishing in the U.S. is starting to gain some popularity, but most people are like, oh, I never want to fish a lake with a fly rod. Or the only thing that they know is fishing it under an indicator for prominence. Where right. that wasn't an option for me in competition, so I had to learn how to pull, pull buggers, um, fish prominence without an indicator, and it's turned in from something that I didn't want to do that I hated and I was hoping that there wouldn't be any lake sessions to uh, aspect of the sport that's probably more fun for me than river fishing. Stillwater hmm. fly fishing is an absolute blast. And I know you guys up there in BC have a, have a ton of that as well. You're talking my language there. Now, uh, we're not uh, at least I'm not in any competition, so the the indicators the go to for me. But um, that's a game changer, isn't it? When you when you come to discover, and and that's that's more than probably fifty percent of a trout's diet in still water, anyways, if not way more than that. Yeah, absolutely. And they're they're and it's really a fun way to fish with or without an indicator, and without so you get some incredibly strong takes where they pull they pull the line out of your hand, and it's. And stripping streamers when they're looking for a meal that's moving is is definitely the drug. There you get that strong tug, it comes up tight, and then they take off. And you get lake fish have a better opportunity to get better conditioned. So you get the fat, big, happy rainbows and browns that are strong. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can get doubles and triples. It's still water fly fishing is probably one of the funnest aspects of the sport that most people don't even think about trying yeah and i think it, you know the more we can do that let's face it the more we can spread the pressure on the waters between rivers between lakes fish in the bays uh i think you bring up a great point what's the biggest lesson that you've learned on your fly fishing journey if you had to single out one if it's not working change change mm. is to me is key I've, I've given a lot of, I've helped a lot of friends learn to fly fish. I've helped a lot of people on clinics. Um, and I've talked to, because I've left fly fishing, I've talked to a lot of people. And you hear a lot, well, I, I stayed on one corner and I fished an indicator and I went and I fished zebra midges. And when those weren't, didn't work, I fished a zebra midge that was red. Well, did you try anything else? No. That's the only thing I tried. Where, the more you change, the better success you have. So they may not be eating what you're used to. Throw on something crazy. Um, one of my friends, Chris Usen, uh, in a comp in Colorado, we were fishing this recreational pond. It was stocked. It was a bank session. 
and there was only like one or two fish caught per session. It was, it was, it wasn't the world's best venue. Uh, I hooked a fish and I lost it. And I was like, well, that was probably my one chance. And he was sitting next to me on the, on the bank over. And the last 15 minutes, he landed three fish. So after the comp, I said, Hey, Chris, what were you doing? He's like, well, I was fishing a chubby Chernobyl on a DI seven. So he's fishing a dry fly on a full sink fly line and pulling that. <laughs> and, and that's what got him three fish and ended up winning him the session. Since that wow. moment in time, I always decided to try different things because if you can win a comp stripping a uh, chubby Chernobyl, then something else crazy might work as well. When you're not fly fishing, you're doing what? Fly tying. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it counts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fly tying. I do like classic cars. Um, but lately it's been work. You know, I have a, I have a nine to five job that consumes probably about 50, 55 hours a week. I design healthcare facilities, um, as a mechanical engineer and it's something I really like as well. Um, as in terms of it keeps my mind challenged. It's, I get to deal with a bunch of great people and I get to help ultimately build facilities that can possibly save somebody's life and, you know, hopefully save some energy and make the planet a little bit more sustainable. So I, I really do like, uh, like my career. Um, so I do a lot of work and then fly fishing and fly tying and spending time with the wife and traveling and travel usually to some place where there's fish where I can catch with a fly. Yeah. Amen to that. It sounds like you've got a pretty good work life balance going on there in, in, in San Diego. We, I try. It's, it's important to my company, Gloomac, um, that I work for that people do have a good life, work-life balance and people aren't overworked 80, 90 hours a week. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's, let's talk about some of your, I know, I know you're Echo, uh, Fly Fishing Pro staff. Let's talk about Echo a little bit, just because, um, from my experience, they're one of the best value rods on the market. I, I do have an Echo. I use a uh, uh, 10 foot. Uh, we're just talking about Cronwood fishing a minute ago, and that's that's kind of my go to on a, on a four piece. Um, talk about the Echo rods. What is it you like about them? So, Echo, Echo is, I don't want to say up and coming because they've been around, but they've really stepped up their game and, in terms of rod development coming out with high quality rods and rods that are affordable. A thousand dollars for a fly rod or $900 for a fly rod just isn't sustainable for many people. Um, and the, I think Echo's most expensive rods, $470, $480. So still under 500 bucks. The Shadow X is probably one of the best, if not best nymphing rods I've ever fished. It's light, it's responsive, um, it balances well and it's got great action. It protects light tippet. Uh, over Christmas, I was fishing 9X and 10X tippet on the 2.8, which is unheard of. So it's just a great rod. They're, they're coming out with this, the Stillwater series where they have five, six, and seven weight rods in 10 and 10 and a half foot lengths. They're going to be awesome. Once again, trying to push the, the boundaries of of what's currently available for the longest time there was no dedicated stillwater rods 
mm-hmm. in America. They were hard to find. So you're fishing 10 foot seven weights, 10 foot six weights, and nothing that was really dedicated to that style of fishing. So Echo's really pushing the still water. And I think once again, to get, um, get some pressures off the river and explore all of our, our waterways. Uh, I have a couple of their EPRs, which, which are phenomenal rods, super fast action, um, which is great when you have windy conditions, they punch through the wind and all the way down to their, their saltwater. Yeah. And, and their glass rods are phenomenal and they have, a, they have an incredible warranty. Cool. Uh, you break, you break a tip and they just, they'll send you a new tip. So, and it's cheap. It's not a hundred bucks plus shipping. Another thing I really like about Echo is their fly shop strong um, ethos where they're trying to sell fly rods in fly shops to keep fly shops in business. Because mm-hmm. with, with Amazon and all the internet retailers, fly shops are, if, some, if we don't kind of help fly shops, they're going to be a dying breed. And then when you need something the day before a trip, you're not going to be able to get it. Well, I think, you know, so that's that balance it, again, right? Like, it's like if we buy everything online, like the online thing is great. Don't get me wrong, because if I always believe if you know exactly what you're looking for, that's great. But there's nothing quite like walking into a shop, talking to a friendly face, um, getting the goods on what's what's happening and have somebody point you in the right direction. I, I agree with you 100 percent. It's becoming a lost art and we need to bring it back. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I I'm with you hundred percent on that. And it's, it's something that echo pushes. And I, I like, I like that part of them as well. Yeah. Besides making phenomenal rods that are affordable to normal working class people who, you know, maybe buy one rod a year and they want something that's going to perform at their, at their level and at a high level that they can count on. That's not going to be extremely brittle and break on them on a trip or on a fish. Yeah, I think you, they're really onto a niche in the market there. I've I've believed that for a long time. There's a few other companies that are doing that, but um, you know, in the past it was either low end or super super high end, and there wasn't a lot of lifetime warranties in that. Say, let's say a hundred to three hundred dollar range. You know, even up to five. It seemed like there's a lot of twelve hundred dollar fly rods on the market all of a sudden. Yeah, and I don't. And I've, and I've had the opportunity to fish a lot of high-end rods, and I've had an opportunity to fish a lot of low-end rods and everything in between. And I'm, I feel very fortunate that I had those opportunities to either be fishing with friends or having got to try rods on the water. And from, for the majority of the people out there, unless there's some high-end rods that make a lot of sense if you're fishing for extremely big fish in extremely windy conditions and you're an expert level caster. Yeah. Those don't, don't, those situations don't exist for majority of the people from I'd say 99.9%. And if you are at that level, you already know what you like and you're going to, you're going to find a rod regardless of the brand that suits you. You know what that's like to me? That's like, that's like you and me using Bolada golf balls. Sometimes it's like, I should, I probably shouldn't say you. I'm talking about me as more of a, you know, you, you're you're a serious fly fisher. I just do it for fun. But, I mean, the the pros may feel a difference in that if you get what I'm saying. But like the average golfer is hitting something a little harder. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, they're really hitting. Yeah, it makes sure something hitting a little harder, 
and something that uh, is a little bit more forgiving, doesn't have the high spin rate, and doesn't cut. That was the problem with Pilatus, where if you miss hit, you lost a golf ball. And with some of these really high-end rods, they're, they're super brittle. You hit them with the clouser, and they shatter. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the Echo stuff, I I definitely... I'm a, I'm a decent caster, and I definitely hit my rods with, with some clousers coming at speed and uh, still been able to land fish. And I haven't, to date, I have not broken echo rod. I got to tell you, which is, which is awesome. I got to tell you, a pet peeve I've had on some real high end rods that I have owned, because I know they're always trying to go for the light, 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 lighter is better and all this. And then all of a sudden, there's no hook keeper. And I'm like, where do I put my fly? I got to drive it into the cork handle all the time. I, that drives stuff like, you know, I don't know. That's just a little thing I've noticed. You know, some companies are trying to maximize the the weight of the rod or, you know, minimize the weight of the rod, which I totally understand. But sometimes those conveniences are kind of overlooked. Absolutely. Yeah. The hook keepers definitely annoy me when you don't have a, don't have a hook keeper. Yeah. Where do I put this? Now I'm, now you're putting me to force me to hook it on the guide or exactly. stick it in the cork. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And then uh, not having alignment dots annoys me as well. Ah. It shouldn't, yeah. but it does. No, I, I, I totally get that. That's good stuff. Um, you want to talk about any of your other sponsors? I know you got uh, Airflow, uh, the Fly Stop, Moonlit Fly Fishing. Let's talk about what those guys uh, do for your game out there. Yeah, uh, Airflow, I think, makes some of the best lines in the business. They uh, especially in terms of still water, they are second to none. Their, their six cent series and their 40 plus series of fly lines are unbelievable. They have, they're the first people that came out with the no stretch core. So you can get solid hook sets at 60, 70, 80 feet away on a fish. Um, they sink fast and they sink true to their, the density that they say that they sink to. So mm-hmm. I have, I have been an airflow fan since I found out about them back in 2014 and have been fishing them pretty much exclusively ever since. Right on. Um, Moonlit uh, is a company uh, out of Idaho uh, owned by Brandon Moon. He's, you know, trying to make some, trying to get in the industry via barbless hooks and he makes a, a wide range of barbless hooks. His hooks are great. They, um, they're incredibly sharp. They're a good deal um, on value. And then he also has a lot of furled leaders, which I wasn't a fan of until I started fishing his leaders and Moonlit's leaders. On, on the saltwater rod, he's saltwater side, he sells a hogzilla, which is like a three-foot furled leader. And it really kind of helps to turn the flies over when I'm fishing the salt. Right. Um, and they're, they're, they're great leaders and it's a great company and I really like their hooks. Uh, and the, the fly stop in, in San Diego is my local shop. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of theirs. They, you know, they treat, they treat me and everybody else really well. One of the things I really like about the fly stop is they sell quality flies at a reasonable price. So they have a bunch of competition, barbless, tungsten headed flies that retail for $1.25 a fly. And then they always have fly sales. So you can get good, good hooks. They're on, they're on fire holes, the fire hole outdoor hooks, Caroline tungsten, and they're good flies for, for reasonable prices. They're not three or $4 a fly. Cause when you're nymphing, you're going to lose a lot. 
Mm-hmm. They're a good store. They take care of the customers, and I'm happy to be associated with them. Let's talk about what you're doing earlier today, because I know um, you were doing a little teaching uh, earlier in the day. What were you up to? Uh, I one of the uh, fly clubs that I I have a bunch of friends in asked me to give a urine nymphing clinic, and last year I I did one for the club, for the same club, and then I did it again for this year, and so it was getting people out on the water and working them through some common faults with European nipping. So what I, I did was I went out and I, I had everybody gather. I went through the complete setup, the rigging, um, the leaders that I like, whether it be an all mono rig or a tapered leader with a cider and put it in the center for kind of casting smaller flies or dry, dry dropper on the Euro rig showed them how to do it. And then I went and spent about 30 minutes with each student. Uh, There's 12 of them and kind of walked them through what, what their pitfalls were, how they could improve their game. And it's, it was incredibly amazing to see people go from never having done this to picking it up and catching fish. And the, the stoke was real and seeing how excited they were to learn something new and get gain that toolbox and in the fly fishing arsenal is, is so much fun. And I really enjoyed giving back to clubs and giving back to the fly fishing community because it's given so much to me in terms of drive in life and an activity that I will do until the day I physically cannot do it. Well, that's and that's a, just and, and the friendships that I made. That's something too that, uh, we don't talk about a lot, but it, it is a pastime that you can basically do for almost well, at least 90% of your life. Right. I mean, or if not a hundred percent of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's, and it's, there's a lot of organizations out there that are doing great work, like the wounded warrior project, project healing waters, um, real recovery, um, casting for recovery that do, make it a healing experience for disabled or cancer people who have cancer and for the veterans. And it's, it's a, it's a sport that everybody can do. I have never in my life seen somebody not hook on a fish and love every moment of it. If I I think fishing, there's something primal about it where that kind of top taps into that uh, survival mode from caveman days way back when about being able to catch your own dinner. And I'm, I'm primarily a catch and release person, mm-hmm. but there, there are people who do enjoy to take a fish for dinner. And I'm, I'm okay with that. If it's done responsibly and within, within the confines of the law. Yeah. hundred percent. So, I mean, <laughs> the species that you're targeting around San Diego, we talked about uh, tuna, dorado, calicos, bonefish, trout, uh, in the freshwater, uh, corvina, I want you to paint a picture now. I'm going to ask you to put your artist hat on, Dave, and, and kind of describe your perfect day. First off, pick a species. Uh, what does it look like? What, what time in the morning? Are you heading out there, or is it evening? You, you walk us through that. Paint a little picture for us. Oh, absolutely. The perfect day is is a day on San Diego Bay. Uh, I don't have to be up super early. It, I can be on the water about 8 a.m., get up, grab a breakfast burrito from the local Mexican shop, get, get to the, get to the 
boat rental place. I, I'm not fortunate enough to own a boat, so we we rent we rent boats. We rent a boat. We get out on the water. It's it's a bluebird day. It's sunny, um, and the tides are super important. So it would be a larger tidal swing, in and the currents would be moving, and we'd have a perfect westerly wind. And it doesn't really matter on the in or outgoing tide, but we always have to have uh, water movement. Hmm. get out there and rig up and then start drifting and casting for, for bass. And spotted bay bass are one of the most fun fish I've ever caught on a fly rod because they're super aggressive. They fight till the very end. They, once you get them up, they try to bite you. They try to injure you. They got spines. Their gill plates are super sharp. So they'll do everything they can to, put the hurt on you and then when you put them back they swim away they're super hardy fish <laughs> well i had a in november you know we only usually only it's about four four to five hours that we're out we were out for four hours and i had 82 fish with 24 double hookups wow well i had two fish on on the line and there's not another species out there that i think you can put that many fish in the, in the boat in that short of time and just they just destroy. You get that massive bath thumb, which is which is so much fun. With that too, you never know what else you're going to catch on on the line. So you hook up, and it could be a twenty pound halibut. It could be a giant bat ray. It could be a shovel nose guitar fish. It could be a bone uh, bonefish. Hmm. Uh, it's the bay is just so diverse and such a fun fishery that. That's my. Uh, that's probably one of my favorite days in San Diego and anywhere fly fishing is fishing the bays. Um, I thought about moving. Wife and I have talked about moving back to New Zealand, and the, my first thought always is, "Man, would I miss those spotties? I miss being out on San Diego Bay." And it's great because it's it's not a heavily pressured fishery. Almost, I know almost everybody who's out there who's throwing a fly rod because it's such a small community. And I really want more people to understand, to, to understand and try this, the fisheries because it's San Diego, it's Mission, it's Huntington Harbor, uh, all up and down uh, Southern California. These fish live and they are they don't get any respect, and they're a blast on the fly rod. It amazed me walking that, uh, you know, those electric scooters you guys have out there. My wife and I rented some of those and, and kind of headed up and down the the beach there just the the amount of life teeming in in that bay uh and there was there was people you know bait fishing from the shore uh there's people out there in boats uh, ripping around and i'm just like there, there's life everywhere in that bay it's 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 an unbelievably fertile bay and i'm i mean i'm a fly fisherman through and through but i'm a fisherman even more and one of my favorite things to do that's when i'm not fly fishing is we we go and take big eight aught shark hooks and whole squid and four ounces of lead on, on 50 pound tuna gear. And we just cast it out and hang out on the beach and catch big rays. You know, I've caught hundred, 120, 130 pound, um, common rays in the bay. And you get, get to pull on a fish for 45 minutes, chase it up and down the beach. So there's an endless opportunities to fish, um, whether fly or conventional in San Diego. And the offshore stuff, when the tuna season hits, when it's July, August, September, October, November, it's it's unbelievable. 
seeing a flurry of tuna jumping and chasing bait fish and zigzagging under the boat and having 20 people on a cattle boat hooked up and going over and under, it, it's insane. It's something that I feel like every fisherman should should experience. Man, I tell you, those those pics too that you have of all those spotted bass on your uh, on your Instagram account, they're they're pretty photogenic fish. They're they're real pretty, and uh, they do look a little dangerous with those uh, spiny fins. They when they stick you, it hurts. Uh, they uh, you have to, and when you clamp when and they they clamp down on their their mouths and they flare their gills out, and their gills are sharp. So if you're if you're holding them wrong, they'll slice your hand. They poke you. They you put your thumb into their mouth. They clamp down on their thumb, and you, then you're having to get like pliers to open them. It's and they're just aggressive, little grumpy, angry fish. They're everything you want out of a fish, and they're super plentiful. I like that. Aggressive, so you, grumpy, you angry. Always, <laughs> those are yeah. those are traits we look I for mean, in fish. People, yeah, right. They, they, everybody calls them uh, grumpy spotty because they just always look pissed off and they're angry. What is your Instagram handle? People want to check you out online and see some of these uh, beautiful fish you're you're chasing in in Southern California. Yeah, it's SD Fly Angler, and I, I made that account because I was like, oh, SD San Diego. Nobody will ever think of anything different than that. Um, and I get a lot of people like, hey, are you from South Dakota? <laughs> As I'm holding holding saltwater fish. No, no, I am not from South Dakota. So, but it is SD for San Diego Fly Angler. There's there's a there's a small group of us uh, flying guards in Southern California, and it's growing. It's growing by the day, and it's just a, it's just a fun place to to vacation. And I've had friends come out with family. We got Legoland, we got SeaWorld, we got one of the world's best zoos. Absolutely. Um, and while they're while their family is sleeping, they get up and they fish the surf uh, on summer vacations. You know, we do have perch and surf perch, and we have Corbina. Um, the ghost of the coast, which Glenn Ueda is the master at. Um, and it's just, that's a fun, that's a fun fish to chase as well. Cause it slides in and out with the tides and you get to watch this fish come up. You have to cast in front of it and give it a couple strips as it's sliding back out and it'll eat. Cause it's trying to eat all the sand crabs. Hmm. Another incredibly frustrating, highly technical fish that we have here in San Diego. If you could change one thing about the pastime of fly fishing, Dave, is there anything you think we can do better at or it kind of irks you or you'd like to see us improve? Uh, I would like to see better sharing of knowledge. Hmm. I find, you know, that's a, that's a, a holdover from other types of fishing where there's a lot of secretive, secret secretive about fly fishing yeah and you know people holding on to their their tips and their tricks and what they think is um something that's going to give them an edge and like i'm all I, I understand not posting your honey hole on instagram because everybody and their, and their mom will go out there and pound your hole and meet and and wreck it but things that you do that you've developed and sharing sharing tips and tricks and fly patterns and why you're doing what you're doing will help you become a better angler 
but it also helps somebody else become a better angler and then they will share information back and you both benefit from it. I, every time I've helped somebody or shared knowledge, they have shared knowledge back and regardless of how good of an angler are they are, whether they're new or, you know, they're at the top of their game, I always learn something and I always improve and they always improve. And it's that mutually beneficial relationship that I think makes fly fishing great is having good people to fish with. Yeah. Well said. And you know, there's so many ways to share that information now that wasn't there 30 years ago. Yeah. And the Instagram and Facebook and social media and the whole interwebs has made sharing that knowledge incredibly easy and it's just it's just a great it's a great tool yeah it can be a little bit cumbersome um and you do have the people who are not soaking up that information not sharing any any information that are trying to find you know your honey holes and right people also fishing doing unethical things to get fake internet points or likes (laughs) <laughs> like fishing reds, um, peg egging, snagging fish, all the things you hear about mm-hmm. so they can have a big fish on, on the gram for, you know, to get, get that, to get those likes. Right. Yeah. That's, um, that's another, you're right. I think with, with all that does come some responsibility, right. As you know, and I think, I think fly fishers as a group get it. I really do. You know, there's always going to be one or two that, that don't, but, um, I know everyone I ever talked to on this in this podcast is so forthcoming with information, so sharing, and somebody you'd be happy to spend time with on, on the water. Hey, I really want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us today, today or tonight, Dave. I, I really enjoyed it. Ah, uh, thank you. Um, this was this was fun. Um, I really enjoyed it. I hope I hope uh, I got some some good uh, good stuff and that people find value in it and they enjoyed listening to it. We've been chatting tonight with Dave Smith out of Southern California, San Diego specifically. He spends a lot of time fishing in the Eastern Sierras, but also the majority of his time fishing in the San Diego bays and chasing all kinds of species. Check it out. San Diego sounds like a little piece of heaven on earth. I would say, yeah. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. More than happy to help uh, point you in the right direction. That's SD Fly Angler on Instagram. Cheers, Dave. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.